We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Hi, welcome to Disability Etiquette. It's about respect. My name is Wanda Felty. I work at the Center for Learning and Leadership, and I am here presenting with my colleague, Miranda Hooper. We will start with, uh, we have nothing to disclose. We have no financial connection to this. Um, So that's part of our requirements. Miranda and I both work for the Center for Learning and Leadership, which is Oklahoma's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disability. We, We produce a monthly newsletter, which has some really good information www.ouhsc.edu slash the sender. On the homepage, you can scroll to the bottom. There's a big red banner. You can click on that. We encourage you to sign up. We do not sell your information, um, but the newsletter that comes out once a month is some really good information. Also take some time to look around our website. We have some great resources. Some of the resources we'll be talking about today. So the objective of today's session is to define the difference between people first and identity first language. We'll tell you a little more about that. To identify components of disability etiquette and understand why. What's what's the logic or the reasoning behind it? And then where to find the alphabet soup? And no, it's not in a can. So we look forward to being able to explain all that to you today. Again, my name is Wanda Felty. Um, I am the assistant director, and I'm also the community leadership and advocacy coordinator. Um, My most important title is I'm mom. I have three adult daughters. My middle daughter is 33 years old. She is, I think I just said 33. She is actually 34. These birthdays keep coming and mine doesn't. And um, she was born with developmental disabilities, and she honestly is my perpetual educator. My name is Miranda Hooper, and like like Wanda said, I also work at the Center for Learning and Leadership. Um, I'm a community education coordinator up here at the center. Um, I am also a parent advocate. I have uh, four boys, and in this picture below, you will see me with three of them. Um, My 18-year-old pictured on the bottom left. Uh, He is 18 years old. He is a senior in high school this year, and he also has intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, This picture was taken of us in St. Louis on vacation, and I absolutely love it because um, it's a picture of all of us holding straws between our lip and our nose, kind of making straw mustaches. And uh, Aiden got his straw, and while he was trying to do it, it was it was proving to be a little difficult. So he just immediately popped it in his mouth and made his own mustache his own way. And I just thought, what a wonderfully natural moment to catch how important it is to um, feel a part of the group and to feel like, uh, you know, how, how important it is to feel uh, included. And you might need a little accommodation, but as long as we're all there, it works. So 
right now, as uh, we'd like to know, and this is something you can think about, um, whether you have a family member, an immediate family member with a disability. How about a distant family member with a disability? Um, how about whether you have worked beside somebody with a uh, a person with a disability? And have any of you ever gone to school with a person with a disability? As you're, we're going through this training, um, it's, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to that. It's just kind of to gauge um, how much you have engaged or been involved with or, or even interacted with people with disabilities. And as we go through this, think about how etiquette and respect was shown to those people, whether it's something you did yourself or something that you witnessed. And um, we can just get into the training and see what we learn from there. And what I like about this, we, we don't think about it, uh, how, how many times our lives cross uh, uh, interact with a person with a disability until you start really breaking it down. It's like, yeah, I have had a co-worker with a disability. So it's kind of interesting. So this slide here talks about different types of disability and, and kind of the different perspective. So if you think about the, the, the big D, the disability, the, the bigger word of disability as defined by the Americans with Disability Act, that's a person who has a a complication that limits them in at least one area of life, of living. It could be mobility, it could be um, expressive language, it could be financial ability to be able to secure financial of their self, take care of independence. But if anything within the scope of the grander uh, definition of disability. So we call that big D. And then when you think about the next uh, Inside disability is the definition of developmental disability, and that's looking at the federal definition under the Americans with Developmental Disabilities Act, or the DD Act. Uh, it was signed in 2000, and that really narrows it down. Instead of having a limitation in one area of life, it's actually a limitation in three areas of life that need support. So if you think about the big D, when you think about somebody meeting, having limitations in three areas or needing support in three areas of living, that goes really down significantly. And then inside developmental disability, if you think about people who have intellectual disabilities, and according to, um, I think this is um, under the... I, I don't even know the, the, where we got this definition. It's so small, I can't see it. Forgive me. It's a, <laughs> the American Association of Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. I see it now. Bifocals do work at a right angle. <laughs> so in that is having a person who has limitations in th three areas of life, but can be totally related to their cognition or their IQ. And in that doesn't, go by IQ, it really goes by their functional ability in the state, the phases of life, independent living, it can be personal care, communication, mobility, uh, navigating the community, financial security, 
in that area. So if you think about the big D, that's the that big Americans with Disability Act, then you narrow it down, smaller number of people have developmental disability. And inside developmental disability, we have even a smaller percentage that have an intellectual disability. The reason this is important is we all need to know when we're talking about disability that somebody could be talking about an intellectual disability and somebody may be hearing from the bigger disability. So it's really important when we talk about disability etiquette, it doesn't matter which group they're in, it's really about respect. But this was just, we wanted you to understand the difference. And I love this triangle. Miranda made this graphic because it really is the big D, DD, and ID. But again, it's really about respect. Miranda, you have anything to add to that one? I think you've got it. I think that's cool. good. Um, we wanted to start off um, by asking, everyone when we're, we're thinking about uh, disability etiquette and respect or to really assume competency. And that just means assuming that everybody um, is coming from a place where they understand if they're being treated respectfully or not, um, whether they have verbal communication, whether there's eye contact being made with you, whether they're in a mental health crisis, um, it's going to look different for each person, but if you come um, in contact with somebody, uh, disability or not, uh, to everybody um, should assume that each person uh, wants and deserves uh, respect in their interactions with one another. And, and what I have seen um, in, in my lived experience with a daughter who doesn't have traditional communication. She doesn't use spoken words. She doesn't use sign language. She does have some gestures that it's really interesting to watch people who don't know her and understand her to assume because she doesn't use spoken words that she probably doesn't understand spoken words. But I'm here to tell you, she understands spoken words, all of them. So, but to assume that she doesn't because she doesn't speak words that sh surely she must not understand is totally inappropriate. And in fact, you will get a reaction from her if you baby talk her, if you treat her as if she's not even there because you think she's not understanding spoken words. So the safest side and the most respectful is to always assume competency. So the first thing we want to tell you about and give you that QR code to get there is alphabet soup. This document is created out of the Center for Learning and Leadership where we work. And this has been in production for almost 20 years now, not quite 20, but almost 20. And it really is the whole alphabet soup of services, systems, supports with acronyms. I mean, we practically have to carry around a cheat sheet just to apply for a service or call for information. So this book really does take and break down many of those acronyms. What's really important, and once we started looking through this, we will be updating this book starting in January, hopefully produced within a few months. Um, but 
after reviewing it, preparing for this training is we realized that we are missing some of the acronyms of the new service system for those with a mental health diagnosis, the mental health system. We have some new programs in our state. So what we've asked everyone, we encourage you, look through the book, go to our website, download it. It's a PDF. You can look at it. Anything that is missing that you can think about, a service you know, just flip to the book and see if it's there. If it's not there, shoot us an email because we want to make sure to include that in our new version because I do know that we have a lot of new services in our state around mental health. So this is the QR code or you can go to our website that ouhsc.edu slash the center and then at the very top there's a button a tab for uh, publications. Yes, publications. And then you scroll down and it's the alphabet soup. They're in alphabetical order, but we tracked it by the. So go all the way to the bottom. But really, I when, when I started really coming into the service system and trying to figure out and navigate for my daughter, this was a, a godsend. So this is just an example of one of the pages. And it breaks down to SPED stands for special education. And I've even heard people say SPED. And I was like, what's SPED? And they said, oh, special education. But they'll use the word SPED mm -hmm. as a word. And it's really just an abbreviation. Mm -hmm. So this is just one of the pages. So TA is technical assistance. So did they give you TA? I was like, I don't know what TA is. So it really breaks this down. Many of these you see TEFRA down here, Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act. Most people just call it TEFRA, but that gives you the act. What we will do in the coming year, we are going to then, we're not gonna produce a Spanish one. We're going to add the Spanish explanation to each one of these links because the acronym and the name of the program still needs to be in English because many times that's what will be handed to them or given to them or said to them. Miranda, do you have anything else to add to this? Um, no, I, I think that, again, just pointing out that some of those acronyms, people uh, use them almost as their own words, such as TANF. Uh, that's when I noticed, uh, um, and you pointed out TEFRA. So it is, it's especially when you're just starting down this piece because, uh, you know, it's it's easy to hear SSA and kind of piece together maybe what's being talked about. But when you start hearing people use them in words and you're like, hold on a sec, I've never heard that word in my life and realize it's an acronym. It can, it can jostle you. And there's a lot, there's a lot to learn. And this, so this is, it's a wonderful resource. Well, that's what bad. I, I didn't know that was ever used as a word as special education, but I learned to. So this is another page out of the book and it's a really good um, kind of it really ties into what we're presenting today is uh, cognitive accommodations, how to support. Whenever I think about Miranda's picture of her and her boys, uh, accommodations. They accommodated her, their, her son to be able to have the same mustache as everybody else, but they used it. And then physical accommodations, respectful accommodations, and, and really, Accommodations are really about respect. That's really the bottom line here. So as we're, you know, I think Wanda mentioned, we are updating Alphabet Soup. 
and this will be our first revision in a couple years. So we do know, you know, we'd like to hear from you as well and see what we're missing. If there's been some updates, um, especially in the last couple of years with COVID, there's been different uh, departments that might have changed. And so their acronyms might have changed. I could think of a few off the top of my head right now. So Wanda and I already have um, kind of a running list, but we want to hear from you. Um, I think we pointed out for there's uh we know we're looking for um, more um, acronyms in the in the mental health field. So that's something we'd like to include as we're adding in the Spanish version as well. So anything that you have, or if you look through it, um, I think on our last training, we actually had um, somebody send us one or as an example, and we couldn't find it. So um, if you don't see it in there, please go ahead and um, send it our way you can use this QR code on the slide uh, by pointing to your phone and it will take you straight to um, an email. And so it will send it directly to us or you can email us directly at learn to lead and that's the number two. Um, I'm gonna start that again. So when I say the word two, it's the number two. Learn to lead dash U-C-E-D-D at O-U-H-S-C dot E-D-U. So getting into disability etiquette, uh, what is it? I feel like a lot of times, you know, this is where people are like, I don't know what to do, or I don't know what to say, or um, especially if, if you know, I always think of the example of like uh, having a young child and standing in the grocery store line and, you know, a, a child might say like, you know, you know, why is that? Why is that person, you know, why do they look different or why do they sound different? And parents usually shush them uh, because they don't know what to do or say. Um, and so when we're thinking of disability etiquette, it's, you know, we, we know etiquette, it's, the, it's indicating, or it's, it's the, just the polite and proper way to interact with people. It's the exact same thing for people uh, with disabilities. It's, we're still just thinking of respectful ways and uh, polite ways to interact with somebody. So in that example of the grocery store, you know, it's it's okay to explain, oh, well, he uses a wheelchair. That's You're not offending the person that uses a wheelchair. They're very aware that they use a wheelchair. It's all right. Um, and and quite frankly, and this is putting on my, my parent hat, I would much rather have the questions than have the staring or the quiet whispers. So to me, that is a much, it's a, a more of a polite thing for me and my family than to get, you know, very aware that somebody seems awkward and doesn't want to just ask the question, ask the questions. Yeah. Um, and so we just say, you know, you just extend the same respect and um, politeness that you would to anybody without a disability. Yeah. And, and Miranda, you're right. I would rather them come and ask, especially small children. Small children are going to look at, at people who are different if they've not ever encountered them. And Kayla does a lot of body movements. She might move her hands a lot. She is blind. So she's often walking sighted guide or holding the buggy. And she can be quite entertaining to small children. And it's okay. What I would like is for whenever a little child is looking at Kayla, because she can be entertaining, is to say, I don't know, let's go meet her. And when I see a little kid looking at Kayla like she's having fun, I will lean down and say, her name is Kayla. What is your name? 
And then I'll say, Kayla, this is whatever this child's name is. Will you say hi? And she does do this for hi. She said hi. That is that instant opportunity to teach that small child that disability is part of all of our life, even the grocery store. And, and those little moments add up because that's not going to be the first and last time somebody sees somebody with a disability, even, even if you're an adult. Uh, and you see somebody with a disability you haven't necessarily been in a lot of contact with, it's sure to happen again. And so you're setting a foundation for um, a more respectful interaction for the next time, because the next time that child might not worry about coming up and saying hi, or, um, you know, my children, my younger boys, they have grown up in the world of disability. So they're not phased one bit by anybody. In fact, they they have a, a friend who uses a wheelchair and just said like man you're so lucky you've got that wheelchair I sure I'm sure tired of walking today I wish I had a chair and and had I not you know they're just comfortable talking about it and it's not rude they're just saying like you know having a regular conversation they would with any of their friends and because that person is a friend who happens to use a wheelchair yeah um, yes. and and one of the things is if I have somebody come up with anybody but small children will say what's wrong with her and my answer is oh nothing's wrong with her she's blind because I want them to know that disability is really a natural part so if you ever hear somebody say oh nothing's wrong with them that's what they're saying it's okay they're not correcting you they're just helping you understand that disability is a natural part of living some examples that we use for disability etiquette the first one is to speak directly to the person. A lot of times, and, and I see this um, often in appointments and like uh, medical appointments or, or different appointments where Aiden, who is now 18, people will come in and say like, well, how is he doing today? I, I could tell you what I, how I think he's doing, but I mean, I think Wanda could tell you how she thinks I'm doing and it's not going to be what, what I think I'm doing, you know? So um, speak directly to the person and, um, you know, caregivers and, and parents, they'll often fill in the gaps if they need to. If Aiden says, I'm good, I'll say, yeah, he's been doing great today. You know, we've, he's done a little, we've had a little of this come up and, and, you know, help the conversation if needed, but, um, it's important to respect that person and speak to them directly, whether or not they have verbal communication, because again, we're going to assume competency. We're going to assume that um, they know what you're saying and they will respond however they respond and we'll go from there. Um, offering assistance. Uh, and this is, you know, if somebody uses a wheelchair and, you know, they're on, they're heading down a hallway, there's no need to just walk up behind them and, and give them an assist, even if, if you think you're doing someone a favor, um, I use the example of if I see Wanda walking down a hallway and I just walked by and grabbed her wrist and started leading her down the hallway, um, while that might keep her on track and get her there a little faster, um, that's not very polite of me just to grab her wrist and lead her because she might have needed to go somewhere else first. So ask somebody like, hey, you know, is there anything I can do? Do you need a, you know, do you need an, like, do you need an assist? And they'll they'll tell you yes or no. Um, to that, uh, a wheelchair is an extension of a person's body. So we don't want to lean on it. 
Um, I don't go into Wanda's office and lean on her and tell her about my day. I might want to some days, but, <laughs> but I don't. So, and if I need to, I would ask her first anyway. Um, but it is, an, it's an extension of somebody's body. So think about that. Like, would you go up to somebody and lean on their shoulder while you talk to them? Um, likely not, unless it was your spouse or significant other. Um, you probably wouldn't just naturally do that without asking. Um, and so uh, don't do that. Um, we're using clear language when we do speak to somebody directly. Um, using clear, specific language and giving them time to answer and process that. Um, everybody might need some time to figure out like, how how are they doing? Well, you know, let's think about that a little bit or what do they want? Here are the options. Um, so building in that time too, if you're a professional making an appointment with somebody with a disability. Um, so you have that time to allow them uh, to answer thoughtfully and honestly. Uh, and then always identifying yourself when somebody is coming into a room who is blind. You don't assume that they know um, who you are based on your voice. Um, you still keep eye contact with them and speak directly to them because, you know, if I start moving away from this microphone, you're not going to hear me as well. So, you know, you want to keep uh, that respectful discourse. Again, using Wanda as an example, if she walks in or if I walk into her office and start talking to her, but then turn around and keep talking, but mess with my purse and my bag. And I'm trying to get things situated with her. Um, that's not very respectful. I'm asking her for her time and I'm not giving her the respect of uh, giving my attention to it. So be sure you do that with everybody. Do you have anything to add to that, Wanda? No, I think you covered that really great. And, and it's really interesting. Every one of these, really the bottom line is respect. So to recap, it really, again, it, I, I, we're saying this over and over again because it's just what it is. It just is coming down to respect. We're going to assume competency. Um, we're going to start off assuming everybody um, in the room and that we're interacting with uh, deserves the same level of respect and etiquette that we would extend to anybody, whether or not they have a disability. Um, we're going to pay attention to the abilities of somebody, not the disability. Um, while we can be aware of it, like we might be aware somebody might not have verbal communication, we're going to focus on the fact that, um, you know, they can respond with, you know, however they they happen to respond, whether that's with assistive technology, if it's with, you know, uh, facial recognition or a facial gesture or sounds. Um, so we're going to focus on that part of it. We're going to allow accommodations, building in that extra time for people to respond and communicate however that looks for them. Um, and, and again, if we're, if we're thinking of somebody in a mental health crisis or, you know, if somebody's panicking, uh, you know, I have a, one of my kids has a very serious medical anxiety specifically. And so we have built in that time with his doctor when he goes because we need extra time just to get through that appointment because he needs time to get in there, relax, calm down, ask lots and lots of questions before he consents to anything going on in that office because he's scared. And we want to have a good rapport with people. Like we, I want him to feel comfortable. And if that means 10 or 15 extra minutes on our appointment, let's allow that. And his doctor is very good about that. 
Um, and again, avoiding infantizing speech or baby talk. Um, unless it's a baby, we need to speak to people uh, at their age. And, and Wanda gave a great example earlier. My example always is uh, Aiden. Uh, while he has verbal communication, it's um, it's not the typical fluid communication you typically would hear. And so he still does get some baby talk. And we had finally, when he was about 11, um, a family member come up and start speaking to him that I really had worked a lot with um, helping them realize that he was 11 and not two. And he just finally sighed and rolled his eyes and walked away. And I thought that he summed it up every, those years of advocacy, Aiden summed up in one nonverbal reaction. And, you know, since then he has been spoken to like a young man. And so it worked. Uh, he got the respect he deserved and he gave it right back. Self-advocacy is a great skill. <laughs> so that's great. And, and for a while, like, I, I get the I get the 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 reaction because we're trying to place them the person that we've never had an encounter with in what we know, and it's so easy when they don't use typical or or age equivalent whatever uh, speak for us to say oh then they're talking like my two year old did. It doesn't matter speak to them as a person, do not speak to them. And so I just really appreciate that. And I've got news for you. If you talk, baby talk to my daughter, she will let you know how it affects her. Um, she will mess with you. She has a sense of humor, like, oh, you think I'm a baby? Watch what I can do. <laughs> it's really funny. So respectful language, what does it sound like? And why is it important? And again, everybody deserves respect. Respect is actually an inherent thing everyone should get. People lose respect when something happens, when they do something to lose that respect of another person. But when it comes to really honoring people we don't know, people we do know who have a disability, it's really about honoring them for the person they are, not the disability or the diagnosis or the condition they has. It's important to not only respect, use respectful language uh, to people with disabilities, with disability, but also when you speak about other people at medical terms. You know, it really comes down to, um, I grew up where you, identified the person with their disability first, like a person, um, you might say, a, um, uh, what would it have been, a, a special ed student. I remember that being said in elementary. Well, that means we're, we're putting the preface, the, the emphasis on the special education, not on the student. So it's actually a student who uses, who, who happens to have a special ed, accommodation. And, and the thing is, it's, we do this with medical asthma patient. I've seen it happen for years. And so then we become acclimated to those terms. And this is not respectful. We would never say, hi, I would like you to introduce you to my cancerous mother. Oh, <laughs> she's in remission, but she, she had cancer. 
So no, it's about my mom and here's why I've got her here and here's what's really cool and why I want to introduce you. Also, it's really important to think about the terms when you're talking about people. If you've paid attention to Miranda and I today, we've really worked hard to, to respect and elevate our children to who they are. So the same thing goes for any person with a disability. Here's my example I used in a training a few months back, and, and I want you to hang on to this, that if a person has some type of incontinent issue, they may need some kind of brief for their medical condition. I want you to always remember, babies wear diapers, adults don't. Adult might have some incontinent supports, whether it's a disposable brief, a disposable whatever. It's, it's they're just disposable underwear. They're not diapers. Babies wear diapers. Again, thinking about, you know, treating them like a baby. So this is all of this. So if I'm going to talk about my grandma who may have been, had some incontinent issue, I'm not going to stand up there and say my grandma wears diapers. That's not respecting her. And I would never say that in front of her. The only time I would ever talk about that is if I happen to be at the doctor with her and say, hey, doc, here's the issues that we're having. But I'm still not going to say she wears a diaper. Are you tracking this respectful language in how our words say what we mean? So we're going to go into some examples. These are thought-provoking. They're here to make you think. So the first one is wheelchair-bound. So I want you to get a picture of what you think a person might be saying if they say there's a man who is wheelchair-bound. What would you think? You got the picture in your head? Well, this is kind of what people who use wheelchairs think that sounds like. They're not really bound to that wheelchair. They get out often. They may get out of the chair for bathrooms or to sit at their table or to go to bed. <laughs> They're not bound to that wheelchair. So wheelchair bound should be something we kind of take out of our vocabulary. Miranda said of people who use wheelchairs, she said that several times. It's an extension. It's for mobility. So wheelchair bound. So think about that when you use the term wheelchair bound and then correct yourself and say a, a person that uses a wheelchair. So here's the next one. Are y'all ready? Bedridden. Have y'all heard that word before? Have you heard that before? Bedridden. What does that say to you? Well, here's what I think it means. That person on the bicycle is being ridden by that bed. A person who might have the medical condition that requires them to be in bed for a long period of time. It's not bedridden. They're a person who has a medical condition that might need support in transitioning, might need to lay in the position for whatever the condition. They're not bedridden. They're a person who happens to have a condition that their best position may be in a bed for support. 
So think about this. While this is humorous, I really want you to think about what your words say, because we really need to respect the person. And here's my last one. Confined to a wheelchair. Last time I did this, some person got right off the bat and made a guess of what th they thought this picture would look like. So what do you think this picture would look like if I said confined to a wheelchair? Let's see if you're right. Yeah, we got the policeman right there, confining her right there to her chair. Again, she's not confined to the wheelchair. She uses a wheelchair for mobility <laughs> to get around. <laughs> she gets out of the chair when she wants. She might transition over to bed or a bench or a chair or wherever, or lazy boy and watch TV. So we don't need police officers combining people to wheelchairs. So again, this is kind of comicals, but it really is for us to think about what our words say about the person who we're talking about or even talking to. Um, and this is, uh, so right here we have um, a list of affirmative or positive phrases and then um, the negative phrases that have historically been used but are no longer, um, you know, there's better ways to to say things these days. So, um, like, for instance, a person with a disability is the more respectful way to speak about a person with a disability if you need to mention their disability, um, rather than saying the disabled or that handicapped person over there. Um, you know, the handicapped person needs the parking spot. No, the person with the disability needs accessible parking. Um, and historically, it wasn't thought that these were bad or negative ways to say things, but as times change, so does language. And so these are, it's outdated um, and it's not respectful. It's not thought to be respectful anymore. Um, so we look down here and just as a, another example, um, you see here uh, a person with a psychiatric disability um, and the negative phrase like, oh, they're crazy. They're just being nuts. And <clears throat> Juan and I both talked about you know, it's crazy still thrown around very often just to talk about anything. Like, did you see that traffic jam? Yes, it was crazy. And and I will be the first to say I'm guilty of using this one. And since we've really started uh, building this PowerPoint and talking more about it, and we have a couple products on this. Um, I've become more aware of how often it's, I've said it. And so now that I think about it and it's just something mindful that I'm aware of. I've caught myself and, and I haven't caught myself every time, but that's kind of the process of learning respectful language is maybe you don't catch it every time, but the fact that you're thinking about it and making those changes towards more respectful language is, um, is all that we're asking. And so we don't expect you to walk out of here and, you know, be the end all be all of respectful language person, but the next time you have this interaction to think about this and to think about these, uh, the way you're wording things. And if you're talking about um, somebody, whether it's a, you know, if it's not a loved one, what if it was, would you want somebody talking about them this way? Would you want somebody to tell you your loved one was crazy? Or would you want someone to tell you your loved one, you know, was in, was, or acting crazy or clearly having a mental health crisis. There's 
there's two different ways that you think about those things in the process that you can do. Right. And some of the other really powerful words over here is uh, suffer with. They don't suffer with cerebral palsy. They, they have cerebral palsy. And, and these are really negative words, suffer with blindness or suffer from deafness or um, a victim of whatever the condition is. Mm-hmm. It, you know, they're not a victim of their condition. They, they have a disability. Um, I wear glasses. I'm not a victim to my glasses. Even if I don't have my glasses, I still can see, just don't ask me to read anything because I won't be able to see it, but I'm still not a victim. I refuse to be a victim, stricken with. I mean, these are words, and I'm down here a person with a physical disability, we've made in red lame, and I had a, a young man that graduated with my daughter that t- who he uses a wheelchair for mobility, and he's the one that told me his feeling about the term lame. And he taught me a lot about that. And I have really tried to remove that. Never talking about a person, but talking about things that I thought were lacking or less than or just not fun. I can find better words than to use an old medical diagnosis that was used for people who had mobility disabilities. So So, and one of the words on that last screen was the R word. And I'm going to tell you, there is no time ever for the R word to be used towards a person or towards any inanimate activity or something that somebody thinks. This diagnosis uh, has gone away with the times. It's no longer used in medical, but it is still out there, even being used for medical conditions. But there are campaigns because this word is as as affecting of a person with a disability, especially those with intellectual disability or those with significant learning disability, as derogatory as some of the racial slurs that are out there. It's very personal because it instantly takes them back to days when they were not treated respectful. So you could be talking about your lawnmower and use the R word. And you say, but I wasn't talking about a person. But that word is such a hurtful and derogatory word. It should never come out of anyone's mouth. And that's something, regardless of where you were raised, there's not a debate on this, on the R word. So... So um, there's two school of thoughts on respectful language. And um, for the longest time, we just had people first language. And this is putting the person in front of the disability. And uh, Wanda touched on this earlier. Um, and, and the thought is, you know, that the person is more than just their disability. So such a good example is a person with autism um, or he is diagnosed with Down syndrome. Uh, She's diagnosed with a mental illness. He uses a wheelchair. Again, he's not wheelchair bound or confined to a wheelchair. And so this has probably been, say about the last 20 years, um, the school of thought. and, And I know when Aiden was diagnosed in 2000, seven, this is one of the very first things I learned about, like, this is how you talk about 
not only talk about autism, but this is how you talk about the person with autism. Trending language is identity first language. And uh, this is putting the disability in front of the, the first part of their identity. And that's to signify that there's nothing wrong with that piece of them, that their disability is a part of them and the person is proud of it. Like, uh, so the deaf community has used identity first language always, I yes. believe, you know, um, and autism, you know, like I said, my son has a, a autism diagnosis. So I was taught person first. There's a huge wave right now during, um, in the autism community um, for especially uh, adults who have, getting, have been diagnosed later in life say, I am autistic. Um, and that again is because that's a part of who they are. That's, you know, they, they identify with that piece of them that helps them, uh, you know, ex uh, again, speaking to adults who are diagnosed later, like, oh, this answers so many questions. Like, this is great. I, I wasn't, you know, just socially awkward and having trouble making friendships for no reason. I was autistic. Like this was who I am. So I can embrace that and find out who I am. Um, this is kind of, you know, when we're, so now when we're looking at identity first and people first language, um, it's always important to, it's still people first language is still uh, the commonly accepted place to start. So um, and that's what we model. That's what we should model like as to younger parents or parents who are just getting, uh, going through the diagnosis process. Um, and unless you or when somebody or if somebody um, identifies as wanting to use identity first, or they say, you know, I'm an autistic self-advocate and they lead with that identity first language, then the respectful thing to do is to follow their lead and then to use identity first language. Um, it's kind of like how pronouns at this point, you know, five years ago, nobody was having conversations about pronouns or a very, I, sh I shouldn't say that, a very small group of people in the population were likely having conversations about pronouns. Now this is becoming a common thing where it's not rude to ask somebody's pronouns. In fact, that's, you know, it's kind of preferable. You'll, you'll see uh, Wanda has she, her, I typically have it, but I don't this time, but, you know, we've gone to conferences where you can pick your pins to show what pronouns do you use um, so that you don't have to identify. It's right there on you if, if you want to use that. Um, so it's kind of the same thing. Like, what does somebody, how do they want to be identified and, and what they want? That's going to be the respectful course. Right. And one thing is that's really important here is if you ask the person what, how they prefer to be identified, if, if there needs to be an identity, then you, you defer to their preference. Um, but the one exception to this, regardless, there is still never a time where that preference will ever involve the R word. So <laughs> it's very important that we come away with this. Um, and as Miranda said, the default is always to use respectful language. We have a colleague um, that they 
prefer to be autistic, be an autistic adult. And I have learned so much from them that uh, when it comes to, so I, I, I want people to know that I respect who they are. It is not my decision to tell them how they think or feel. I just want them to know, and this goes for anybody that I want to respect them. And that's why we focused on respect today. So what is the right thing to say? The right thing to say is, um, what is the, the right thing to say is going to be based on what that person tells you is the right thing to say or what, um, or the environment you're in. So again, if if you're meeting somebody in a professional place, the right thing to say is uh, to use people first language until if, if they bring up identity first language. And then the right thing to say is going to be um, using identity first language. Uh, the right thing to say is going to be the respectful thing. Uh, if, if you aren't sure what to say, lean into respect. Uh, you can always ask questions. If, if you say, I don't know what the right thing to say is, ask. And somebody will happily tell you, I will happily tell you the way to respect me. I'd much rather tell you that than to have you offend me and disrespect me. Um, so uh, again, using that, that uh, using respectful language and um, again, thinking about how you would want to be spoken to, you know, that, that golden rule. And if, if you would want somebody to speak to you like that, then that's probably a good place to start. Uh, if if you wouldn't, then that's probably not a good thing to say to somebody. I use a, a good example would be, uh, so for Aiden, again, he grew up learning. I modeled people first language um, because that's what I was taught. Now, if he says at 18 now, like I am autistic, then that's what I'll do. Then I'll, I will, then he will be modeling for me and I will follow his lead. Um, he hasn't yet identified like that, but when he was younger, Aiden was, a uh, he was about 13 and just kept walking into rooms without knocking on doors and would, you know, I called it the Kramer, the Kramer year. So he just barge open and open doors and come in. And so to practice knocking, I would walk into maybe a room and lock the door behind me so that he would practice knocking. And, um, there was one day he tried opening it and it was locked and I felt I could hear, I felt the, saw the door kind of move and he put his face against the door and he said, hello, my name is Aiden. And he knocked again and he said, I have autism, it's me. And so he identified with his people first language and he's very proud of that. So again, that's how I've heard him identify himself uh, the very few times he has. And so that's what I use. If that ever changes, um, then that's what we will do from there. We'll change from there. I love that. This is just a wonderful quote from uh, Haben Gurma. She was the first deafblind graduate of Harvard Law School, and she is a disability rights lawyer and advocate. Uh, the quote says, disability is not something we overcome. It's a part of human diversity. And I love it because it's just simply stating we're all human. Um, you know, Wanda uses glasses. I don't. We're friends. I don't go in and talk to her very slowly with a high-pitched voice to ask her things. We're colleagues and we're friends. <laughs> um, so it's it's the same thing across the board, whether it's a physical disability or uh, an intellectual disability, whether uh, you know it's a, a mental health diagnosis. We're we're all human. We're all trying to 
get through our days, uh, being respected and having, you know, a positive piece of our community together. If you haven't had a chance to look her up, y'all, you need to look her up. Incredible. She's, she's got a book. She's got some good, um, videos out there. She's extremely smart. Uh, Miranda and I had the pleasure of getting to hear her at a national conference several years back. Incredible. Yes. Some takeaway is again, assume competency, whether regardless of their communication method, what you think their disability is or is not. Um, the alphabet soup is a great resource. Uh, so go pull that up. Um, if you haven't, uh, this PowerPoint will be shared. People with disability appreciate the same count, uh, uh, courtesies, sorry, I was reading something different. <laughs> courtesies you extend to everybody else without disability. That is a common, I know y'all know that. Remember, a, a wheelchair is part of a person's body, it's an extension of their body. Don't lean on it. Don't push it. Don't grab it. Don't hold on to it. Like if you're not going to hold their hand while you're holding a conversation, don't hold the handle of the wheelchair while you're talking to them. Some other ones, announce yourself to a, uh, a person who is blind. If you walk into a room, something we didn't touch on, but I've seen being modeled and I need to do a better job of it as well. But uh, now that virtual meetings are so commonplace these days, describing yourself on uh, uh, virtual meetings. That's that's another thing that I've seen that's starting to pop up for people who are uh, visually impaired or blind. And so, you know, I what I should have done is at the beginning of this said, hi, my name's Miranda. I have shoulder length brown hair. I'm wearing a, you know, a very fake silver necklace today and uh, a brownish long sleeve sweater. Uh, with a headband. Um, I thought about it in my picture with Aiden and describing that. And so again, it's not perfect. I'm not perfect at it. But once I remembered that that would be the most respectful place to start, I tried to start adding it in. So again, it's not going to always be perfect, but just taking those steps to be mindful of it. Um, that's real important. And uh, be aware of that outdated language, especially the R word. Absolutely no place for that people first language and identity first language, uh, you know, start with people first language and then um, be respectful to somebody who wants to use identity first language and use that, follow their lead if that's what they prefer. And finally, if you aren't sure, ask. Um, you know, if, if you have a child staring at the grocery store, ask, make, you know, say hello. Uh, if you are speaking, to somebody and you're not sure how they want to be addressed, ask. Um, there, I, again, with my caregiver hat on, I will say there are very few questions at this point that I haven't heard. And so it's it's not, the likelihood that I will be shocked or offended is low. And even if you do shock or offend me, at the end of the day, I am going to be glad you asked because you are going to get the answer of a lifetime because if I'm shocked or offended, I'll teach you a little something in the midst of that as well. So um, questions are always good. This is our information. We want your feedback. Uh, Wanda's email is wanda-felty. That's W-A-N-D-A-F-E-L-T-Y at O-U-H-S-C dot E-D-U. 
Uh, mine is Miranda Hooper, M-I-R-A-N-D-A dash H-O-O-P-E-R at O-U-H-S-C dot E-D-U. Um, those are both of our emails. We also have a QR code here that you can use for your phone uh, and scan it. That will take you to um, our emails. Uh, let us know what you think of this training, uh, what we missed, what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, again, if you think about some resources for Alphabet Soup, please send them your way. Um, if there's something that you'd like to see, um, you know, we've we revisit trainings all the time. So if we've missed something, let us know. We are happy to uh, add it in and we will have it there for the next one. And if you're interested <clears throat> in having us do this training for you, your agency, uh, your program, your school, your family club, send us an email. We'd love to do it and kind of get the word out about uh, respectful communication and language. So thanks for having us today. We really do appreciate it. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.